Mm. Is Jesus really God? It's a huge question, one that probably naturally brings an answer up in your head, your first opportunity to kind of respond to that, but it's okay to really think through this one. Is Jesus really God? My own journey with understanding who Jesus is began as a child. We didn't go to church particularly much. I did attend uh, parochial school, Catholic school, Uh, but probably my biggest impression was this image here. Uh, My mom had it hanging in our living room right next to a portrait of Abraham Lincoln. And uh, I, was, I would stare at this image a lot as I would the, the Abraham Lincoln one um, and just look at it. And, I, and I'd ask myself, like, who is this guy? What was particularly interesting is sort of a footnote uh, as I was researching this particular image. This was the one that was hanging in our house. Is This is actually a Warner Salman uh, painting, and, and Warner Salman was a, uh, a covenanter uh, back in the covenant church way, way back, and uh, I didn't know that he... That's probably the reason that this version of Jesus, very popular, looks a little Swedish. Um, he's kind of got the brownish hair and maybe it looks a little bit like uh, one of the Bee Gees, but, but it's a beautiful, beautiful image. Um, but I'll be honest, uh, my, my understanding of who Jesus was as it continued to grow, you know, it would typically be around Easter or Christmas that people would talk more about Jesus. And it was like, okay, so Easter, we got our, our baskets out and we're cracking eggs on each other's head and getting candy. Uh, at Christmas time, we're opening presents and then somebody would say, oh, but we, we need to think about, about Jesus. And so Jesus, to me, honestly, kind of meant like we had to stop having fun, Okay because we had to think about Jesus. Later in my young adult life, uh, you know, I was preached to many times, and um, an impression that I had, honestly, was street preachers, you know, standing on boxes saying, I was going to go to hell unless I believed and accepted Jesus, which rang to me again like another thing of like, I guess Jesus is, I have to stop having fun. Who is Jesus, though? And is he really God? Here's what's clear is that, that Jesus is the most, the most controversial figure in all of human history. He is the most controversial figure in all of human history. And he's the center point of human history. Right, around, right now around the world, we recognize that this is the year of our Lord, 2019, roughly 2019 years away from what we recognize as his birth. That date is not always you know, known to be completely accurate, but at least that we hinge, and I'm old enough to remember back, we used to call it B.C., before Christ, and A.D., after he died. Now they change it to be something a little more generic, but he is the center point of human history, and again, someone that I think we, we think of a lot, but do we really understand who he is and is Jesus really God? So whether you're here this morning and your first instinct, instinct is to say, oh, I love him, or I'm still trying to figure it out, maybe you're here and, and you actually uh, reject or respect, or, or maybe you're here and you worship him, but you still wonder. It's okay to wonder it's okay to wonder because it's a huge question, is Jesus really God? In fact, I was leading uh, one of the dis- uh, Explore God discussion groups this week, and I was asking our group, um, you know, how many of you would raise your hand and say you're, you're confident in the, the belief that Jesus is really God? And had one guy shot his hand up really quick, and I was like, oh, wow, that, that's amazing. Like, 
You're really confident that you understand Jesus as God. He's like, oh, no, I don't, I don't really get it. I just don't want to go to hell. <laughs> I was like, oh, really? He goes, yeah, I just know they told us that that's something we had to believe otherwise, and so I don't really get it. I just don't want to go to hell. I was like, well, thank you so much for your honesty. Some years before, I was leading a group uh, through uh, a study that I would do called Know the Story, which was just understanding the, the whole of the, the story of the gospel, the whole, the whole story of Bible, really. And in there, we wrestle with that question of, is Jesus really God? And I'll, I'll never forget my friend Rick and his agitation over this question as we got to the Gospels and Jesus claimed that I and the Father are one, and he just really wrestled with that. Now, Rick was a guy who had been in church most of his life, and he had attended Bible studies, was faithful in worship, but that was one that he just couldn't wrap his arms around. And I remember getting really agitated, like, but, 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 but he prayed to God, and, and he said that the Father was greater than him, and, and he kept saying he was here to do the will of the Father, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. And it really just worked in him. This idea, and I was like, it's okay, as even the disciples, or excuse me, even as the people around Jesus asked him several times, these are people that walked with him, you know, tell us plainly, who are you? Who are you? And Jesus would answer them. But here's what we know. He's okay with the questions. He's okay with the wonder. He's okay with us seeking him. As Jesus is recorded saying in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they will see God. So I just want us to be here this morning and be pure in heart to say, it's okay if we still wonder. It's okay if we don't have it all figured out. And let's talk. Let's have dialogue. Let's look at the word. Let's pray. Jesus, who are you? Let me pray. Father, thank you for this gathering. Thank you for this gathering of friends here. In this, your church, Jesus, we recognize that you are the cornerstone, and, and many of us could probably answer sort of those, those, uh, those doctrines from memory, but do we really have a grasp of that? Do we get it? Do we understand it? Thank you, Jesus, that you're okay with the wonder. You're okay with the question. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you'd fill in what I'm offering today, that it would speak truth and love into the hearts of all who are gathered here this morning, especially me. Start with me. Continue to work with me in, in my assurance as I understand who you are and the answer to this big question. Is Jesus really God? It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we really can't think about God without wrestling with this question, who is Jesus? We really can't think about God without wrestling with this question. Uh, and, and if you look at this, now we're starting to get a pattern uh, on this series, um, and I, I always look for like a story there. And so does, does life have a purpose? And we began with that, and I took the risk of offering you a, a purpose, uh, that our purpose is to know love, to be filled with love, and to love those around us. And, and to me, again, the acid test on that purpose, is it a universal purpose? I would go to the poorest places in the world uh, to the, where people are really suffering, and I would speak that into their hearts. You are here to know love, to be loved, and to love. I would go to the highest boardrooms in the city of our Chicago and say the exact same thing to the CEO. You are here to love and to know love and to be loved. I think that's a universal purpose. Second there, is, is there a God? Well, I, I think that's how we know love. We know love because God is love. He doesn't do loving things. He is love. Later, we looked at the question of why then would God allow pain 
and suffering. And we talked about that God gives out of his love. He gives life, and yes, it hurts, but what is he taking away? Well, ultimately, he's going to take away the pain of all our pain and suffering. He's going to take it away. Why? Because he loves. Last week, we answered that question, is is Christianity too narrow? Is it too narrow? We landed around the idea that the truth is narrow, but grace is wide, and God's story of love is wide open to all. God's story of love, his gracious love, is wide open to all. What we begin to see as we work through this series is that there's something about God's love that is, is real. God's love is real. God's love is, is real. And, and love requires, by nature, to have some kind of ability to grasp. Love needs handles. Love needs handles. Love needs something we can grasp, something we can hold on to, something we can see. Love isn't just an empty vapor or like an emotion. It has texture. It has feeling. We love the people around us. We love them. We touch them. We interact with them. Love requires, it's a substance. So what is that love? We look at the word here in 1 John 1, verse 2. This is John saying, we're telling you, we declare you that which was from the very beginning, that which we heard, we've seen it with our own eyes, what we've looked at and we touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed. We've seen it. Now we're testifying to it. The love of God was there. They saw it. They touched it. They heard it. They interacted with it. Later in Colossians, Paul uh, Paul was inspired to write that the Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. These and other scriptures like this give this the sense that, that Jesus is there as that interaction with God's love. He is God's love. He's the way we interact and we can understand God's love. It's not an empty energy or emotion. For love to be love, it has to have a substance. It has to have some kind of a substance, something we can hang on to. And God's love, the substance of God's love is Jesus, firstborn over all creation. That's a huge claim. That means before any of this even was, Jesus was. And if we look in our scriptures back in Genesis chapter 1, we get these words emanating out over the nothing, saying, let there be, let there be, let there be. Permissive voice of God, shaping and creating, let there be, let there be, let there be. Just as my voice goes out through the sound system and enters into your ear, the voice has substance. It's something that you can hear, something you can interact with. And God's permissive voice there at the uh, start of creation, it has substance, it has authority. There was nothing. And God spoke his presence over that nothing. And out of his gracious love, things began to create. Things were created. Let there be, let there be. Friends, I know this is uh, hard to grasp, but I really want you to pray through this. Jesus is always the love of God revealed. If you want to understand, if you want to grasp how God is love, the way we grasp, the handle, the substance, the presence of God's love is always, always Jesus. That's how we grasp and understand God's love. It's revealed that way. Jesus is and always been the love of God that is for real. 
Maybe you've heard that term eternally begotten. Maybe that was in your confirmation class. Maybe that was projected into you somewhere. What does that mean, eternally begotten? It means he's always been there. He's always been from the Father, always been. Never has not been, always eternally begotten, forever presenting the love of God. There's never a time when Jesus was not eternally begotten. He's forever presenting the love of God. That's how we know God's love, only through Christ, through Jesus. Well, as beautiful as the beginning that is, we know that one page into the story, things break loose and sin enters into the story and it separates us. It separates us. Our sin separates us. Our relationship with God, who is a loving God, is broken. And as the story goes, our relationship to one another is broken. We don't love each other out of a genuine, pure love. We actually can hurt each other. We've been hurt by each other. That we go back to our, our uh, teaching on pain and suffering. Sin hurts, doesn't it? We feel it. No one would argue that, that sin has substance, that pain has substance, that hurting has substance. No one would argue that because you feel that, right? When things break down or when we ache or when we cry or when people that we trust to love us don't fulfill that covenant, it hurts. We feel that. Our relationship with God is broken and our relationship to each other is broken. See, our sin has substance. We feel that. We can grasp that, that our sin has substance. In Genesis chapter 3, right as the sin moment began, there was God in the garden, and it's reported that he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the physical presence of God's love revealed. But because of their sin, the first man and first woman, they couldn't receive it as fully as they did before, and they hid. They tried to hide from his presence, his loving presence. And seeing what they had done and breaking the one and only rule of creation there in the garden, words were spoken over them that were of a curse that said, in a sense, women, you're going to feel this in your childbirth. Men, you're going to ache at your work. In other words, friends, you're going to feel that. You're going to feel that. And we have been feeling the impact of our sin and our separation from God ever, ever since. Here's the good news, though, friends. God's love is real. Recognize that sin, our brokenness from God is real. Then our Redeemer is for real. In order to redeem, in order to restore, in order to reclaim our fellowship with a loving God who is nothing but love, our sin, our forgiveness has to be forgiven for real. And the substance of God's forgiveness is Jesus, once again, there on the cross, laying his life there between the space of God's love and purity and holiness and righteousness and our unrighteousness. And he repairs that breach for real. Jesus 
lived and breathed and cared and loved and never sinned, yet he died a sinner's death. Why? For our sake. His body was broken in death for our sake, and it was real. It was gruesome. It was, he was beaten, he was dragged, he was spat on, he was cursed, he was nailed, he was hung, he was stabbed. He was dead and he was buried. And as the history of the church tells us, he even died there on the cross, was buried, and for three days descended to the very gates of hell. You know what that tells us? That Jesus took all of that sin on for real in his flesh, suffered and died, buried and descended to the dead for three days? Do you know what that shows us, friends? That nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing will ever separate us from the love of God shown there in Christ. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, or rulers, nothing present, nothing to come, nor powers, no height, no depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever separate us from the love of God in Christ. He descended all the way to the dead to show us that. There's nowhere that God's love cannot reach, and it's for real. God's love is for real, sin is real, if redemption is real, then here's the even better news than that, friends, hope is for real. Jesus is the hope of God, and it's for real. He was raised from the dead, for real. People saw him. More than 500 people interacted with him after he was raised, and they said, he actually is he's alive, like for real. Even people who, who watched him, who interacted with him of those 500, some, many went to their death, martyred, because they would not surrender that belief that they actually saw Jesus alive again for real. They walked with him. They heard him. They touched him. Thomas was one who walked with Jesus and was like, I just, I don't know. I don't know if I buy it. I'm not sure he's for real. Stood, Jesus stood in front of him and said, go ahead, put your fingers in my wounds. And he did. He put his fingers right there in his flesh and opened it and looked for real. And was so moved at that moment that Thomas was recorded to say, you are my Lord. You are my God. For real. They ate with him. They were blessed by him. This is why that line in song inspires us so much for we say, for I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives for real. Who could restore us back to God like that but God himself? Remember my friend Rick? We were sitting there in that Bible study, and oh, I'm not kidding. He was a twitch with this one. He just, he couldn't work it out. It was really twisting him up. It was aching him, right? But I sensed a purity in his spirit. He really wanted to see God. And so I opened up the scriptures to him. We went all the way back to Genesis 15, where God speaks for real to Abram, for real. He says, Abram, I got a plan to fix this breach of sin. I'm going to start a covenant here that's going to bless through your line 
countless multitudes are going to be blessed. Abram thought, well, okay, great, let's, let's, let's enter into this covenant, let's do it. But Abram never had a chance to sign the contract. And the contract was essentially this, I will bless through your family line the multitudes to come. And now, when every time in the Old Testament they would cut a covenant, they would split animals on the side as a representation of what would happen to those parties if this contract breaks down. It's a little different than when you go and you lease your car today, right? That you just sign on the dotted line that you might get in some trouble. This, they'd slice animals and part them on the side and say, I'll tell you what, if this contract breaks down, this is our fate. Blood will be shed. Bodies will be broken. And Abram thought, okay, well, I guess we're going to enter into this promise together. But he never had a chance to sign that contract. In his vision, God himself walked that blood path and said, I'll tell you what, the covenant that I'm making is all on me. If this covenant breaks down, if people continue in their sin, it's my blood, my body that will be broken to redeem. God himself walked that blood path. Jesus' blood was shed for real. His body was broken in death for our sake for real so that we could have forgiveness of sins and the promise and assurance of eternal life for real. Who could ever redeem us back to God but God himself? And I'll tell you this, when my friend Rick sat there and he heard this, and it just, it went through that, that, that twitching just stopped. Tears filled his eyes and he looked and he was just like, wait, you're, you're telling me that, you're telling me that God himself came and died for me? He said, that, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. I said, buddy, that's the most beautiful thing that anyone's ever heard. God himself came and died for me and for you, for real. Our hope is for real. Jesus, after he was uh, raised from the dead, he was lifted up. There in the heavens, he is seated at the right hand of God, and I'm convinced that's why even today, even secular scientists point their telescopes up looking for signs of life because in our hearts we know he's out there for real somewhere. One day he's coming back for real. He's building a house. He's working on that. He said, I'm building a house for you. It's going to be real. And when it's finished, the time is right, I'm going to come, I'm going to bring it, and I'm going to take you to where I am. We'll live there for real forever. Revelation 22, we get that image where he says, nothing occurs to be found anymore. The throne of God and the Lamb, one throne, by the way, for God and this Lamb will be in it. His servants will worship him for real. They will see his face for real. His name will be on their foreheads for real, and we will reign with him forever for real. He's coming back, for real. So, is Jesus really God? For real? He can't be anything but. Jesus can't be anything but God. Because through him is the way, the truth, and the life, the way that we interact with God's love. That's how we know God's love. No one, he said, comes to the Father. No one will ever see the Father's love but through me. 
because he's God himself. But my friends, it's never enough just to talk about Jesus. It's never enough to to learn about Jesus. It's, It's never enough to stare at images of Jesus and wonder, like, who are you? You know, for real. I could talk for 45 more minutes about how God's love is real and who Jesus is, but there's, there's learning about him, but I think you don't get to know someone for real by just hearing about them. Height, weight, depth, distance. We don't get to know someone by their stats to understand when do they live in history and what dates, and, and, or even theologically to understand all like how does it work and how does it... It's never enough to just even read about him. We have to believe that he came and that he did great things. That, that's wonderful, but that true, also is not enough. To believe that he, was, that he died and was raised, that, that's wonderful. But even as James warned us, even the demons believe there's one God and they shudder. How can we know that Jesus is really God? Well, that's a faith question. That's receiving him for real. That's opening up the door of your heart and saying, come into my heart for real because I know that you're God, my Savior and my Lord. And this image of a a beautiful Jesus that looking off in the distance that beckoned my heart as a child, I've grown from that some. And there's, there's another one that someone posted recently after a friend had passed away from a long bout of cancer. Uh, And it was this image. Do I know what Jesus looks like? No. No. But I know he's waiting for me. I know he's there for real. And I know whenever I draw my last breath, I'm going to dive into his arms and say, you are my Lord and my God. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been wrestling in your heart like, who is Jesus and what is all of this? It's, there is something about learning and growing and wondering, but there, there's also something about receiving and just saying, my faith is for real. Jesus said in a vision, Revelation 3, 20, listen, he said, I'm standing at the door and I'm, I'm knocking. And if you hear my voice and you open the door, I will come in to you. And maybe you're here, and anytime people have talked about this idea of receiving Christ, of of giving your life to Christ, of accepting Christ, you get that pounding in your heart that's just like, I don't know what to do with that feeling. That's him knocking on the door of your heart. And if you let him in, he will be with you, and he'll eat with you, and you'll enjoy fellowship with him forever. Let me pray as our friend Ruth comes and ministers to us this morning. Father, thank you for your great love that is eternally and fully expressed in the person of Jesus, who has forever been the presence of your love throughout all creation, the firstborn over it all. Lord, I pray that this morning, as we 
consider the reality of your love there in Christ. As we consider the reality of our sin, our doubts, our fears, our failures. As we consider the reality of your redemption, that your real body was hoisted on the cross and died for our sake. That you descended to the very gates of hell so that we would know there's nowhere, there's nowhere that we can escape from your love. Father, if there's any friends here this morning that maybe they've been attending church for decades, but have never opened their hearts to let you in, that you would give them permission to do so today, that 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 pounding in the heart would give way to a willingness to, to open, to say, come into my heart. And if you're here this morning with, I know it feels weird sometimes, eyes bowed and heads down, and you just want to say, Lord, come into my heart, Jesus, come into my heart. Fill me with your love. For real. I give my life to you and I accept yours. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my God. Let this today, let it be the beginning of a new day. For real. We thank you for your love shown to us only, exclusively, and fully in your Son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.